There is one final reading this evening, which will also serve as the text or sermon. It's a single verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. This is the word of the Lord. Well, how do, you, how do you summarize a human life? Uh, generally, I think we, we uh, have the sense that the more important a person is, the more that needs to be said. And so I imagine most of us would be happy if, after we're gone, somebody would take the time to write a half-column obituary. Uh, celebrities, uh, they get a full-page write-up. And the most important people become... Uh, Book-length biographies, they become doctoral dissertations and uh, the source of study for many. But what if you had to distill the most important life into a single potent statement? Hardly more than a tweet, really. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. It's not everything we want to say. It doesn't tell us anything about the way that he used to catch his opponents in the verbal traps that they would lay for him. It doesn't chronicle the zeal that he had that day he turned over the tables in the temple. It doesn't say everything, but it says a lot. He was rich. Rich, of course, is a relative term. It's one that we use in connection to our command of personal resources. So you can be rich in money. You can be rich in faith, in creativity. You can be rich in friends. You can be rich in options for a a relatively comfortable future. We count ourselves rich according to those things that we count as ours. And, of course, rich is a relative term. There's middle-class rich. There's Powerball rich. There's Elon Musk rich, and there are a thousand steps anywhere in between so that on the way we can size ourselves up against the competition. But how do you describe the riches of the one who is himself the source of all resources? You know the scripture. The cattle on a thousand hills. That doesn't begin to touch the half of it. Not just the cattle, of course, but the hills as well. The very idea of cattle, of hills, that's that's his. All of the the atoms, all the subatomic bonds that hold them all together, all the past history, the future prospect of every herd of livestock that ever has been or ever will be, it's all his. From the farthest undiscovered nebula to the smallest unseen plankton, not a single jot or tittle really belongs to anybody else. For from him and to him and through him are all things, and so rich doesn't even begin to touch it. And again, we understand that that resources are only a human way of measuring riches. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He is the God uncontingent upon creation. 
He is a God unconstrained by time or possessions. He is undefined by emotion or experience or anything external to his own boundless existence because, quite frankly, there is nothing external to his own boundless existence. He is the God of absolute power and potential. All that he wills, he merely speaks into being. And so when the child on the playground is feeling wounded and self-important, she lies to herself and she says, I don't need anybody anyway. The triune God of creation actually doesn't. He does not need anybody. He is not enriched by our offerings. His glory is not increased through our praises. He is never diminished by our rejection. He is perfectly self-sufficient, and he is absolutely self-fulfilled in his perfect self-sufficiency. So you understand then that when the Bible speaks of the riches of God, it is bending low to our level. It is babbling in our infant ears with the closest thing that we can imagine. The Bible tells us about the golden streets and the sapphire pavement. It talks about innumerable angels and festal gathering. It speaks of myriads of myriads singing his praises. It tells us about a multitude of beautiful and blessed things. Because we cannot conceive of what it's like not to need any of it. Not to need anything. Not to be dependent upon our environment or our resources, or the family that nursed us into being. We cannot imagine what it is to be without beginning, or ending, or number of days. So the Bible tells us the closest thing that we can cling to, which is to say that he was rich. And the God who was rich beyond all splendor, in the person of the Son, became as poor as a pauper. This is the condition we can get our finite minds around because primarily it is the poverty that the Son of God assumed was the poverty of our human condition. It's true that the scriptures hint from time to time at Jesus' material poverty in this life. When he was dedicated at the temple, his parents offered nothing more than a pair of pigeons. He once compared... His homelessness to a would-be follower, he compared his homelessness to the foxes and the birds that at least have dens and nests. And even after his death, his body had to be laid in a tomb that didn't belong to him. We catch glimpses from time to time in the scriptures of Jesus' material poverty, and that can grab our attention But we have to remember that when the scripture confronts us with the poverty of Jesus, it is not primarily speaking of his bank account, it is speaking of his humanity. It is speaking of the voluntary condescension whereby the limitless God entered into the bounds of creation. Where the infinite God took upon himself a nature that was as dependent and restricted as every other human who ever existed. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Though he was in the form of God, Christ Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. He emptied himself, but how did he do it? Not by subtraction, but by addition. 
He emptied himself, not by stripping off the eternal, not by refusing his claim on creation or doing away with his perfect, unchangeable righteousness. He emptied himself, not by getting rid of his divinity, but by adding our humanity to himself. Though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of of men, What was the poverty that our Savior experienced? It was the poverty of flesh and bone. It was the darkness of the womb and the cold of the manger. It was the heat of the midday sun and the thirst of the wilderness temptations. It was the exhaustion of living in a body that could get tired. It was the whips and the nails and the thorns and the spear. Our catechism tells us that Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born. And that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross, his humiliation consisted in being buried, continuing under the power of death for a time. In other words, the poverty of Christ was the humanity that he shared with us so that he could take our sin upon his guiltless head. That is a hard pill to swallow from where we normally look at human magnificence. David marveled that God had exalted mankind as high as he has. Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you take thought of him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So for us to be called man, for us to be called human, that is to be lifted up. It is to be enthroned above the beast. It is to be rich in the glory that God bestows upon our race to have the dignity of the image of God written in every human heart. For us to be called man is to be exalted, but for Jesus to become man is to be brought from heaven to earth. It is to be debased with suffering among his own dying creatures. That's why Hebrews picks up that same marveling psalm and applies it to Jesus and finds astonishment in the other direction. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The words of Augustine are too good not to quote at this point. He said, man's maker was made man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on his journey. He was made man that the truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher might be beaten with whips, the foundation suspended on wood, the strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. The Apostle Paul puts it a little simpler than that. He says, though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. 
that leads us at last to the most powerful words in this Christmas passage. For your sake. For your sake. That's the silver thread that connects the riches of the Son of God to the poverty of the Son of Man. It is also the chasm, the vast gulf that separates the incarnation as a theological curiosity from the incarnation as the hope of a dying sinner. The Son of God came to take on the poverty of our humanity so that clothed in our nature He could taste our death and kill our sin and raise us up into His glory. And so the church confesses with our ancient creed, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was made incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. See, the truth of the incarnation is the greatest good news that has ever been told. It is wonderful precisely because the incarnation cannot be divided from the crucifixion. Because the crucifixion leads inevitably to the resurrection. Because the resurrection reveals God's unbreakable love and power poured out for sinners in Christ Jesus. It is the power to raise us out of the dust of our death, to give us an inheritance in His eternal kingdom. But not merely the power to give us place among the gold and the sapphire. God's power to bring us into peace with the Father. God's power to enlist our voices among the myriads of myriads pouring forth His praise as we watch time slip away into eternity. And He who was rich beyond all splendor became poor with our very own poverty. And He did it not because He had to, not because he needed it, but because you did. For your sake, he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's pray together. A gracious God and King, we thank you for the merciful condescension the Son whom you have sent into the world, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of your nature, who was made a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering, the one who leads us into your eternal rest. We pray, O oh Father, that you would give us faith in your Son. For the grace of your Spirit, we ask in his name. Amen.